All of us have had expectations that did not come to fruition. They were dashed, changed, tweaked, altered, dismissed. They just didn't come to pass, and it was a disappointment for us. It's part of the human condition to not just have expectations, but not see those expectations fulfilled. And so in this podcast, I want to talk about your expectations, the ones that did not come to fruition, how you responded to them, and a way to work through the disappointment of broken expectations. Welcome to the podcast. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. The title of this article that I'm sharing with you is To Recover from Broken Expectations, You Need to Know This. And so I want to share this with you, some very important information that I trust will benefit you because you live in the same world that I do. It is a fallen world, and sometimes the things that we want, the dream that we have, the hopes that we uh, hope to see to come to pass, well, it just doesn't happen. And so there's always this underlying reality of disappointment and how we live with our disappointment. Well, that makes all the difference in the world. And so perhaps a good way to start thinking about this podcast is by answering just a couple of questions. What expectations have you had that did not come to fruition? I am not suggesting that you wallow in past guilt or regret, but it is important that we are able to talk about the things that have gone wrong in our lives. If we can't talk about what has happened, the bad things in our lives in a redemptive manner, well, it will be very hard to do what Paul said in Ephesians 4, to put off the old person, that former manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to renew your mind and to put on a new way of living. We need to talk about what's in the rearview mirror so that we can run it through our minds biblically, cleanse it, wash it by the washing of the water with the word so that our minds can be renewed so that we can live differently. And so I'm sure there is an expectation for some of you. It was a big thing. If it's like me, it was a big thing. And of course, your disappointment can be just as proportional. The question is, how did you respond when you did not get what you had hoped? Well, all of us have had those dashed expectations. We To expect stuff is human. There is nothing wrong with expecting stuff. I want you to always expect things, to always have hope in your breast. So it's not getting life the way you plan on our term on our own terms or on your terms well that's the thing that can really be problematic in our lives when misfortune comes well then the question is what is the process for recovering from that disappointment every human should have expectations but especially christians i was telling my son just yesterday that Christians should die with 1,000 unfulfilled goals in their life. We, of all people, should be expectant people. Christian expectations, ours are the most grounded. 
because our expectations, our hope is the most accurate because we do understand what it means to be a human while living with other humans in a fallen world. We have enough biblical awareness to factor fallenness into our expectations, which helps to modulate disappointment to some degree. We understand anthropology, the, the study of humanity. We, we understand harmoniology, the study of sin, and so we know how humanity and sin collide, intersect, and influence each other. And so it does modulate our expectations. But God also encourages us to have expectations, as implied by all the promises that he gives in his word. We expect God to do many things for us. I mean, for example, the Lord wants us to know that he is good and he gives us our heart's desires. God wants us to know about the cross and a Savior who can transform our lives. He wants us to have hope and faith. Both of those concepts are pregnant with expectations. The Hebrew nation lived in expectant hope of a coming Messiah. We live in the expectant hope of a returning king. The Father tells us of heaven and what great things he has reserved for Christians. We have expectations. We expect the fulfillment of our eschatology. To see the one who died for us is our greatest expectation. Paul tells us that without this expectation, we should pity each other. In 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. To hope, to expect in God is a Christian way of thinking. And so to have expectations is real, is normal, and is something that we should all carry in our hearts. But then there is an enemy. There is a competing worldview it's easy to dash and alter our expectations. In worst case scenarios, our expectations can go so far off biblical center that we choose to chunk our faith and live according to the world's expectations. And I have been in that boat because my expectations have been monumental. They have been uh, very high, and they have been dashed. And the higher they are, the, the farther you fall, and the more pain is involved. And sometimes it can be a temptation to chunk your faith and to walk away from all that God holds out to us because we had an expectation of a kind of life that we wanted, and it did not come to pass. The chief competitor of the Christian's expectations is the influence of the culture. That is our enemy. What we see in the culture, living in the culture, interacting in the culture, is the clashing of competing worldviews. It's their worldview versus our worldview. Those expectations I was talking about earlier, about what God gives to us, how pregnant those expectations are with hope and faith and all the blessed things that we receive from Christ. Well, there is a counter to that. It kind of reminds me of Matthew 4 when uh, Jesus was being tempted by Satan. There are many of us who live in places of plenty where we can realize our human earthly dreams. 
We learn to become individualistic ladder climbers as we seek our fortunes here on earth. For those who cannot get a leg up on the ladder to success, well, then there's the government who is willing to lend a hand so that everybody can can receive their dreams. Having a lifestyle the way that you want it is not just an expectation, but it is a demand that we have and that we have transformed into a right. I am thankful for the blessings that come to our country. I live in America. But I am well aware that it's a temptation for me to expect things that that might be outside of the Lord's intentions. I am doing this podcast two days before Christmas in 2020. Up to this point, it has been the most frustrating and difficult and turned upside down year in my entire life, uh, speaking from a global perspective. And many of us are struggling because we have expectations of what this country should bring us, and we're seeing those things go away, and and it is frustrating us, and, and we are struggling with it because we too believe that we have a right And in some sense, we have a right, humanly speaking, but those rights are being maligned and those rights are being taken away from us and our expectations are not happening and this is a huge problem. And I can have sinful tendencies in regard to these things that can lure me to a way of thinking that diverges from what the Bible says. And if I do not keep my mind immersed in God's word, I will quickly forget what biblical expectations are as I crave a way of life that may not be what God wants for me. The bottom line is that an improper understanding of expectations can ruin my life. It can also ruin my relationships, and the same thing can happen to you too. We must have the right view of expectations, a biblical view, which makes how we think about these things crucial. How should you think about God and expectations? What about others? What should you expect from them? Have you ever been in a situation with someone where your expectations for them And your expectations for yourself, they were colliding with what they were saying or what that person was doing. What if you took time today or in the next couple of days to describe a situation where your disappointment in someone revealed how your expectation of them affected you adversely? Every one of us have been there. Perhaps you've been in that spot where God did not come through for you. I talked about chunking your faith earlier. I I was at that place many years ago as I had an expectation of having a wife. I had an expectation of having a family and a, a life that I could see afar off. But all of that just blew up, and, and it was a temptation to walk away from the faith. Maybe you were in a relationship that failed. You went in with all the optimism in the world and believed God was the wind at your back. Then things went badly. It's not necessarily wrong to have unmet expectations. 
Honestly, if you think about it this way, for you to meet all your expectations would require omniscience, which is not a communicable attribute, meaning omniscience is not something that God communicates or gives to us. We're not omniscient beings, and so we can't know the beginning from the end. Therefore, we can't meet all of our expectations because we're fallen people living in a fallen world among fallen individuals. The problem is when our expectations, what we thought Remember, we're not omniscient people. What we thought should happen might happen. Maybe even we thought was a right. It it should happen, but it clashes with reality. If you do not know how to manage your expectations, it will be hard to recover your relationships with God and with other people. Now, my goal here is not to harangue you about having expectations. As I said earlier, please die with 1,000 unfulfilled goals. It's a part of living well in God's earth because Christians should be the most expected people in the world. We should always be planning and strategizing and, and pushing forward with expectant hope for God to do wonderful things in our lives and the lives of other people. And so my goal here is not to harangue you about having expectations, but I hope to help you to learn how to live well with God and with others when your expectations do clash with reality. Whenever we start thinking about our expectations, too often we begin by thinking and talking about what we expect from others. You'll see this on social media where people are are complaining, like, say, about the government. They are grumbling about some politician. Or maybe they are complaining about something that someone did in their life. And that is typically the starting place when people, and what they're doing, what they're saying is, I had an expectation And my America or my country or my government or my politician or my family member or my friend or my church did not come through for me. I had an expectation. That's what I'm talking about. That is not the right starting point. Before you begin to address uh, expectations that are disappointing to you, The first thing you have to do is to have a proper view of yourself. Rather than thinking about what you expect from God, what you expect from another believer, what you expect from an unbeliever, like many of our politicians, what do you think about yourself? How do you think about yourself? How you think about yourself will have a direct and practical impact on how you think about others. Before you begin to measure other people and how they have failed or or not met your expectations, what you expected from them, my appeal to you, this is the starting place. Examine yourself. First, it is impossible to correctly assess anyone if you don't start with a sober self-assessment. 
Now, Jesus talked about this in a very familiar passage. It is a fundamental truth. Here's how he said it in Matthew 7. Why do you see the expectation that is in your brother's eye? I'm giving you a slight paraphrase here. But do not notice how you should live your life, the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Sounds kind of harsh for our postmodern sensitivities, doesn't it? You hypocrite. Jesus said it. I didn't. Don't throw the rock at me. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's go at this from another place. That's what Jesus said. Start with self-examination first. Did you know that Paul died? Paul, the great apostle, died. And then after he died, there was a vacancy in the chief center seat. You know the chief center seat in 1 Timothy 1.15. He said, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Go ahead. There's a vacancy in the chief center seat, so you may assume that you are the rightful proprietor of Paul's chair because he died. There is a vacancy. And so you can ascend to the chief center seat because you are the chief center now. But wait, that's my chair too. You're in my seat. Paul vacated the chief center seat, and I, the chief center seat, and I ascended. It's my seat, not yours. Of course, I'm sure that if Paul were alive today, he would enter into the argument and he would say, no, it's not your seat or my seat. It it is Paul's seat. You see, Paul knew where he stood. Or in the case of my illustration, he knew where he sat. He had a great perspective on himself. And it is similar to the appeal of Christ in Matthew about the, the log in your eye. Paul calibrated his mind with the Bible. His presupposition released him from expecting more from others than what he could deliver himself. Paul believed and practiced. What he believed and practiced is a, <laughs> it's a challenge for me to maintain. Paul had a, a different kind of view than what I have many times. Too often I will get the log and the speck in the wrong places. It's easy for me to see others as worse than I am. And when you see someone worse than you are, well, then the expectation you have for them is it's going to magnify because you have the log and the speck backwards. You have them in the chief center seat uh, rather than you. It's ironic to place expectations on others when I, Rick, cannot even fulfill similar ones for myself. I've written about this in my article that I have linked here. The title of the article is, I Got Angry at My Daughter the other day. And if you do have the time, you can go to that article. You can find it again embedded inside this one that I'm sharing with you. By the way, the title of this article is To Recover from Broken Expectations, You Need to Know This. And if you want to find this article, perhaps you can just type the word expectation in the search box and, and you will find this article. But inside of it is this article, I Got Angry at My Daughter the other day. I wrote it a, a few years ago after I got angry at her and basically I had an expectation of what she should do. 
but I was not able to fulfill a, an expectation of being kind to her as I was talking to her. And so she was sinning. She did do something wrong, but then I sinned too. And so I had to address the log in my eye before I could address my expectation for her because I failed. Dave Harvey talked about this kind of self-deception, limited perspective, misplaced expectation in his book, When Sinners Say I Do. It is a marriage book. And on page 64, he said this, When you're in a conflict with your spouse or evaluating a past conflict, have you ever said aloud or to yourself, God knows my heart in this situation? Was that a comforting or reassuring thought? Did you imagine that a divine examination of your deepest motives and desires would uncover would uncover nothing but the purest and most Christ-like intentions? If so, you're on a dangerous stretch of road with no guardrail at all and probably well on your way to hurtling down into the bottomless canyon of self-deception. We're talking crash and burn. But to live in suspicious suspicion of your heart's motivations, that's safe spiritual driving. Many marriage problems could move toward resolution if husband and wife actually lived as if they were sinners who said, I do. Sinners who are humble are growing more knowledgeable about their hearts. That's from page 64 in Dave Harvey's book, When Sinners Say, I Do. If you're going to be suspicious of someone, let that person be you. And now that I have passed many decades of living on this terrestrial ball, I have concluded that my conclusions can be wrong. While I have opinions, as we all should have opinions, I do try to hold my opinions loosely. What I thought happened or assumed happened does not always happen the way I perceive it to happen. Therefore, before I place expectations on others, I do try to think rightly about myself. Like in the article that I was just referring to when I got angry at my daughter the other day. It would have been better that I had right biblical expectations about myself. It would have been better if I saw myself accurately, that I, and only then could I accurately understand others. And so with these, thing, these things in mind, I want to share a few things that I think about before I think about others and before I began to place expectations on them. And as I share this short list of things that I trust will be a healthy self-assessment for you, I do not want you to hear that I do these things perfectly. People who know me know that I do not do these things perfectly. 
but I am aware of these practices, and I have tried to practice them consistently, and I trust that these thoughts will grip you as they have gripped me, and I hope they will calibrate your expectations of others accordingly. Here is a short list of about seven things that I want you to consider, and it's under the heading of having a healthy self-assessment. Number one, do not attempt to address another person's shortcomings until you have fully convinced yourself that you are the bigger sinner. Paul died. He left a vacancy in the chief sinner seat. You have ascended. Of course, when I walk in the room, I will tell you that you are sitting in my chair because I am the chief sinner. And if Paul were to walk in the room, he would tell you similarly that you are in his chair. My point is do not attempt to address another person's shortcomings until you have fully convinced yourself that you are the biggest sinner in the room. Number two, when you begin to address another's shortcomings, always start with your flaws, which is what Jesus was teaching in Matthew 7. Address the log in your eye. Number three, when you address the sins of another, remember who has the greater sin. You put Christ on the cross. No one can outsin that sin. And I have shared this truth many times with counselees over the years as they share whatever sin or sins, whatever pile is in their lives. I can see the regret coming over their countenance, and I want to reassure them that I'm not sitting in the seat of judgment, that my pile is greater than your pile because in my pile I put Christ on the cross. And because that is the window through which I see you, I cannot be a self-righteous judge of you. Point number three, when you address the sins of another, remember who has the greater sin. No one can out-sin that sin of putting Christ on the cross. Number four, if you are bringing correction to a Christian, remember God bore his wrath on Christ to save the person you are correcting, meaning you are correcting God's child. Be careful how you think about God's children. Number five, be sure the person you are correcting is aware of your gratitude and affection for them before and after you correct them. Kind of like a a sandwich. The, the outer part of the sandwich is gratitude and affection, and the inner Part of the sandwich is the baloney or the correction. And so you want to begin with gratitude and affection, and you want to end that way. You're not withholding correction, but your attitude toward them should be very clear, and it should be positive. Number six, if you do not feel affection in your heart for the person you are about to correct, it may be wise not to bring your correction to them. Because no matter how you may try to disguise it, and no matter how you may try to pretend to like them, the words that come out of your mouth will reveal your heart, and your heart will reveal a lack of affection for them. And so if you do not feel that affection for them, even on a most minimal level, it might be wise not to say anything. And then number seven, your conversation with them should be more about areas they are getting right than about 
the specifics of where they missed the mark, and it goes back to this idea of encouraging them. I'm not talking about being soft. I'm not talking about being a snowflake. I'm not talking about being a a wuss, an empathetic person that jumps in the swamp with a person that has no courage at all. I'm not talking about that, but there are some things that they're doing well, and you want to share that with them. While you should have expectations for other people, while you should have expectations for God too, it is wise, it is humble to make sure you line up your heart with how God views you first. If how you think about yourself lines up with what the Bible expects from you, well, you're at a good starting point to address others. You see, apart from the grace of God, we are worthless beings. And that's not my language either. I talked about the harshness of Matthew 7 for our postmodern sensitivities when Jesus said we are hypocrites. In Romans 3, Paul says that we are worthless without God. And so there's no room for us to boast in anything that we have done to think highly of ourselves. I mean, if we're going to boast, I mean, the only way we can do that is because of the grace of God in our lives and who God is and our identity in him. God expects nothing redemptive from us apart from Christ. And this news about our pre-existing worthlessness should humble us. It should impact us in three specific areas. One, how we think about others. Two, what we expect from others. And then number three, how we do life with them. Now, some of you, you, you the loss and the, the, the loss of expectations have been monumental. And I am sad for you, and I wish I could make it better. Suffering is always hard, but it's more challenging when our expectations were at the highest. And though you need to address what others may have done wrong to you, I cannot overstress how vital it is to start with you. Your attitude will affect your altitude, as an old preacher told me one time. He was both corny and right. If you do not wrestle with God to bring your mind to a place of acceptance about your circumstances and dashed expectations, you will never be able to experience healing regarding those who disappointed you. I am not saying that you will reconcile with anyone who broke your dream, but I am suggesting that you do not have to imprison yourself by the attitude you have toward God, others, or your situation. Thank you for listening.